It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We are with you until 11 o'clock this morning here on News Talk 1400, WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. The phone line is open, 356-9397, if you would like to join us on this 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, everybody, and to one of my favorite firecrackers, <laughs> Lauren Tate is... We're not firing them today, are we? ...in the house to stir up some fireworks if we well, can. we might have some. Never know. But again, if you'd like to join us, we'd love to hear from you on this holiday. If you, I guess you're probably not going to a parade or anything. Maybe you're finding some uh, fireworks out and about somewhere. But uh, we've got a two-hour show for you. We'll talk Major League Baseball. We'll talk some Illinois football, Illini basketball, the House of Pain opens play tonight over in Columbus. 7 o'clock. Uh, Illinois volleyball coach Chris Thomas will join us to talk about uh, his team. Also, uh, Brad Sturdy will be with us at 9.15 to talk about basketball recruiting. Jackie Simoniak, she is Mike Small's uh, chief assistant, uh, operations manager for the golf team. She will be the general manager of the new golf course when they get that uh, redone over uh, what was formerly known as Stone Creek. Now the Atkins Golf Club at the University of Illinois. We'll talk to Jackie about at 9.30. Chris Thomas at 9.45. Adam Rittenberg will join us at 10 o'clock. He writes for ESPN.com. And at 10.30, Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, a computer science professor from the University of Illinois, will join us. He had some interesting research about the COVID-19 virus and what it might mean to athletics. Everybody's taken a second look at this thing. I'd say about a, three weeks ago or so, it looked really promising as far as the football season is concerned. But a lot of people are coming up with other comments. Buster Olney is saying he, he, he's doubting whether baseball is going to get going. And then you've got Paul Feinbaum, who is an expert on the SEC, who, as, as yesterday stated, he thinks it's 50-50 now whether there will be a football season. I think the next couple of weeks are crucial in all of this, um, just yeah. because of the of the the uptick now that we're seeing in many, many states. Uh, I don't know. I've got my doubts, too, about baseball. I'm not so sure I doubt that it will start. I, I have a hard time seeing it finishing. Well, Same with it, basketball, the NBA. That's right. I mean, how do you handle some really serious situations? That That's the next question. We... What we're learning right now, for instance, Iowa's had 17 positive tests. Northwestern's had eight positive. Nebraska's had eight positive. Minnesota's had seven positive. Illinois had a few positive. They won't tell us how many, but they have had some positive tests. And um, what we're saying with a positive test, that just simply means that you test positive. It doesn't mean you're sick even. I mean, some of the some of the individuals who have been tested didn't even know they had it Uh so what happens, Steve, when, they, when I mean, everybody's really concerned about the outbreak of positive tests, 
But what happens if, you go, if it goes the next step further, really uh, something really serious? And that's one of the things that uh, Dr. Jacobson had in his uh, material, his data, and he was basing it on the data yep. uh, and yep. predicted that maybe as many as 13,000 athletes. Well, that's how many football players. Football players. If there's 100 players on 130 right, teams, yeah. uh, that's 13,000 players. Right. And if you have 13,000 players and you got X number of uh, positive tests, do you have one, two, three, four that are more than just positive, that are really serious? You could even have death. He said like five to seven, perhaps, yeah. if you look yeah. at the, the yeah. figures. But again, that's all projection and, and maybe accurate, may not be. But uh, those are the things that are being uh, talked about uh, these days as far as athletics goes. And with that said, I thought it was good to see Activity at Major League Ballparks yesterday. And there was some uh, video of Bush Stadium, some Wrigley Field uh, shots as well. The, some of the team guys are back, and Flaherty was making uh, batting pack practice pitches. He struck out Fowler and the, with Yachty catching. So it was good to see that and hear the crack of the bat, and hopefully and we get players, to that. A few players are deciding that they're just not going to play. You've got Leak, who pitched for the Cardinals a couple of years ago, uh, has decided that he's going to sit out the season or what, through the 60 games. And over on the basketball side, Oladipo is not going to play with the Pacers, and he's just uh, going to set out. I mean, you've got situations like that, and, and that's acceptable. If somebody says that they don't want to play, they don't feel comfortable playing, they've got my wife's having a baby. I think you've got one of those situations in, in baseball, or maybe it's basketball. I'm not sure. But well, it, uh, Mike Trout's wife's having a baby. Is that right? The best player in baseball. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, so I he's, he hasn't decided what he's going to do. Yeah, that's a hard choice. So I, I, just, <laughs> I think what we do, I, what I do is I just, we just take each day as it comes, and, and if, if everything without any, any major stumbling box, we'll ultimately get to a game. July 23rd in baseball. 31 Major League Baseball players have tested positive, and that affected 19 teams. So you're going to see that, and that may not be breaking news. There were 38 people total in baseball. The other seven were staff members, I'm told. But uh, you'll see those numbers uh, every couple of days, I would guess, Lauren, don't you? Yeah, we've got to accept it. But once uh, everybody gets inside what we call the bubble, what happens then? Should it should be reduced? It should be, but again, how do you keep that many people in a bubble? Major League Baseball or basketball might be easier than a college student. What's well, one location? Uh, yes, and even though you can quote unquote quarantine a football team for much of the day, you can't do it for the whole day, and, and especially when their friends and fellow students get back to campus. When you're 18 and 20, 22 years old, you're untouchable. Well, you're a little bit older than that, and you're untouchable. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh -huh. Hadn't affected either one of us yet, has it? Uh, earlier this week, uh, Milo Eifler spoke out a little bit, Illinois linebacker, and uh, had some things to say that were interesting yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, he was – he's concerned about uh, – it sounded like initially he was concerned that the NCAA – uh, wasn't doing enough to protect all the players. I don't know what the NCAA can do. It's, it's up to the individual schools. I mean, you, you do have rules and everything. And, and I, you know, he tried to, he, he explained himself. And by the way, uh, 
I would say, uh, Steve, we're that all players are now off limits from from the media for a time being until Lovey gets more comfortable with what they're liable to say. But uh, Amara Bebe was on uh, Twitter today talking about the fact that he feels like the the uh, players need a union. And I, I when I, th- I think about this, I know Northwestern tried to do that a few years ago, and and that was pretty much shot down. But the, the thing well, here's what happens: uh, Amara Bebe is a senior. He's going to be here a few more months, and then he'll be gone. And his concerns about a union will be gone because he'll be in pro football probably. I think he'll make it. Uh, and so, you know, what you have is when players come in as freshmen, they're much too green to take on this kind of concern. And by the time they're a senior, they're going to be gone pretty soon anyway, so the thing never has traction. The, the idea of the players having a union, and, and when we say players, we're talking about football players, essentially. We're not talking about the rest of the sports. And I, I just don't know how you separate all these different sports. If, 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 you're, uh, if you are not charged, if your sport is played and there is no charge at the door, what's the point of having a union? <laughs> what, do you, what do you have a union for? Well, they might be having a union to figure out a way to share in that TV money. Yeah, but I'm talking about 15 sports that don't True. have, yeah. you know, that don't have TV. They don't have any income at all. Yeah, but those other sports also benefit from that football TV. Well, they sure money. do. I mean, that, that's, right that's what that. keeps them going. By the way, there have now there have been so far since this started 45 sports cut across the country. Yeah, I see that. 15 tennis programs. That's in 14 years, by the way, yep. in the last 14 years. 15 tennis that's programs. One, that's one tennis program a year, basically, for the last 14 years. Five golf, four track, four swimming, three baseball, and on down the line. But uh, that's Division One sports cuts. So it's kind of I where wanna, we're at. I want to talk to Brad Dancer, but I think we ought to have him on next Saturday and, sure. and just discuss that because tennis has been hit harder than any other sport in terms of drops, I think, in the last uh, decade and a half. And I'm not sure why, but uh, tennis has taken some hits. In fact, tennis has just been cut at East Carolina, UConn, which is cutting left and right, and Appalachian State, just in the the last couple months. So... There's got to be a concern. I'd like to hear what Brad would have to say on that. I'm going to see if I can get him. And there's been uh, some football games canceled already. Yeah. One team, a Division II team, canceled the whole season. A lot of the non-conference games, I think, are going to be difficult to to pull off. And Illinois might have one of those in uh, the aforementioned UConn program. they got to come a long way for that. You know, you can see the the closer rivalries, the Illinois State-Illinois games – those kind of games, like Indiana, Ball State, I don't even know if they played well, this year, got, but those kind of games to, would work. What you have to worry about when you're Illinois and you go, you spend, this, this is, tests are expensive. I read where, and I, you know, you read a lot of stuff, and I don't know how accurate this is, that if you had 130 teams with 100 players each in football, that the cost for three months of tests three times a week for each player, okay? Three times a week. That's a quarter of a million dollars. 
If I say to Illinois State, it's going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars to test your football team only three times a week for the next three months, are they going to be able to do that? That's $250,000, and they don't have TV income. Right. So I don't, I don't know, but I, I just it's, – it's awfully expensive to do this. Syracuse has already lost a game. That Patriot League is not going to report until September 1st, which means they can't play any games in September. That Patriot League includes Fordham, Colgate, Lafayette, and Syracuse has got a game. Army's lost a game with that league. Navy's lost a game with that league. So plenty to talk about, uh, even on a holiday with no sports uh, going on per se. And we'll continue, and uh, we'd love to hear from you at 9-12 here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take that first time out. We'll talk some Illinois basketball and some basketball recruiting with Brad Sturdy from Orange and Blue News coming up after this. Stay with us. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, who will tell you good things about Benjamin Bosman's Verdun. It is 9.15, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on this Saturday morning with you until 11 o'clock, 356-9397 is the phone number if you would like to join us. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly, welcoming in our friend Brad Sturdy from Rivals.com, Orange and Blue News. Happy holiday, Bradley. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? We're hanging in there trying to find sports to talk about and when we haven't uh, had games for 16 weeks or so now. But uh, how are you getting along? I'm good, good. You know, we just started up. Uh, my daughter just started back playing some travel softball, so we're doing that a little bit. So we've got some games today. So at least it's some semblance of normalcy again. Has that been going okay, all things considered? Yeah, you know, there are obviously, you know, there are precautions people put in place, you know, with the limiting spectators, things like that. But, I mean, overall, it's been pretty good. I mean, you know, we haven't had anything crazy happen, so that that's a positive, I suppose. And, you know, um, hopefully we everybody stays safe and, and it all goes well. Let's talk some Illinois basketball now with Brad Sturdy. Let's start with uh, Kofi and Io. They've got four weeks from Monday to uh, – decide what they're going to do. Are you hearing anything at all, or uh, what do you think might happen there? Well, it sounds like they're, they're going to have the uh, the NBA um, pre-draft camp, you know, there at the end of July. I mean, they've talked about that. I think if they have that, obviously, Io wants to participate in that and see where see where he ends up, you know, I mean, and kind of get some more feedback there and um, raise a stock. I, I mean, I think Io really wants to go pro. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think that's his plan. Um, you know, but sometimes your you know, plans don't work out, so I, I think he's still got that option open and returning. I think Kofi, on the other hand, I, I, I would be surprised if he stays in the draft. I think he wants to, uh, you know, I, I think he wants to, wants to get that feedback, but I also think he wants to, uh, you know, he, he sees that probably he's not on the, you know, on the first-round radar. You know, if if, any, if he gets drafted, it would be, a, you know, a late second-round flyer someone took, and he'd be playing in probably in a G League or something like that. So, you know, it's just, um, you know, or he would go undrafted. And, you know, so I think, uh, you know, he's got an opportunity. Obviously, he's got some, you know, got some things you can't teach. And so I think a year of, uh, another year of development would probably help him out greatly. Uh, if Io would turn pro, where do you think he would wind up? At what level do you think he would wind up playing next season? 
Um, I think, well, you know, it, the way things are going, it's hard telling what's going to happen. Now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's just such everything's still so up in the air um, with this <laughs> with this NBA restart, and you know, when will the season start next year? How are they going to? I mean, I don't think they know, but I think he's going to get. I think he would end up probably in the second round, mid second round. I think someone would take him. Um, I don't know. Um, what that would mean, whether that would mean he would be playing in the G League, maybe get a two-way contract, something like that. But I, I would send, venture to say that, you know, he's not going to make a first-round pick unless he really, you know, maybe maybe perhaps he has a great, you know, week at, you know, or weekend if they have a pre-draft camp and then, you know, they get somebody gets excited about him and pulls the trigger. But I'm just not seeing that he's on any list that, that I can find where he's higher than, you know, mid-second round, and I think that's probably the best guess for him. Uh what what do you uh, talk about recruiting a little bit? Illinois has added two players so far to the to the twenty one class. Um, how do you think it's affected by the fact that the players can't visit the schools? Yeah, I, I think that like for example, um, Illinois had a couple some kids on campus at, at the right before the pandemic started. Right. You know, for for visits. And I think that's really paid off for those kids. I think they're in good position with those kids because they got them on campus. Because although you can do the, you know, we can do the Zoom meetings and have drone flyovers and all these crazy things that they're doing to try and show kids what campus is like. And, you know, the it's just, it's not the same thing. You know, it's face-to-face meetings and things like that. And obviously we're shut down through, NCAA has shut them down through August 31st now. So it would be September. I, I think you're going to see some kids that possibly even make decisions before August 31st, but then we'll take visits this fall if, if visits are allowed. Um, I, so I think there's going to be, and I also think you're going to see some kids that maybe don't sign in November. Um, even though they're committed, they may not sign because they want to take a couple visits to see campuses before they do that. So it's really a weird year when it comes to recruiting. I mean, I, I don't feel, you know, obviously I feel like, you know, Luke Goody is a kid who's, he's all, all in and on board. I think there's there will be other kids who you know I think will commit and then may take visits and it'll be more like football kind of thing where you know people want want to see the campus you know we know that from football recruits over and over where they're you know they're committed but then they take you know four or five visits uh, official visits in addition to the one where they're committed. I saw some uh, announcements on high school uh, rules in terms of playing sports. What's it like? You're right there on top of this. What what what's happening from a high school standpoint? You know, I know you mentioned well, the, the a, travel league, but I mean that that's yeah. not related to high school, I guess. Yeah, it's a different animal. You know, I mean uh, they they're following the state guidelines. The IHSA has their own guidelines, and it sounds like they got their uh, uh, plan approved with some tweaks. Um, they can start on July sixth with high school activities. Um, they'll get their twenty contact days, which would be. Normally, those 20 contact days would be over the course of June and July, basically, and into August. Um, now they're going to be 20 contact days, basically, in about a five-week period here. So that's a lot of days that you know that you could get in. Um, the the problem with the you know the 20 contact days that's going to be basketball, that's going to be football. So it's going to be both of them. And so I think there's going to be have some. I think especially like small schools where you have kids who are multi-sport athletes and things it's going to be we're going to have to have some sharing uh, that goes on over the next month but but yeah i think it i think it's good i think kids need to have activities um i think um hopefully you know the, the problem you run into is going to be 
you know, it, it all sounds great. And as long as, you know, there are areas where, you know, they, they don't have very many cases of COVID. And, and the problem you're going to run into is if somebody gets it um, and you've had a seven-on-seven tournament, well, then everybody who was, you know, played against that team, you know, they were obviously within contact and the, you know, their the heavy breathing and everything. They're they're going to have uh they're going to have to be on quarantine. So, you know, that would that would shut down the in, that entire team. Basically, would not be doing um, you know, any kind of activities. So there's going to be a lot of testing they're going to have to do, and um, we're going to have there's going to be a lot of waivers people are going to have to sign to, before they can do things. So there's a lot of um a lot of you know things that are going to have to happen for for high school to be normal and i think once we get that one one case especially with the uh, the athletic events because they are in such close proximity within basketball and football especially you're going to have some issues where you're going to have to have some people go on quarantine well what do you think about the football season in, at high school level this year man i i just i don't know i mean i i think that without any kind of vaccine or treatment that that they know of Although I, I understand that, like, the number of athletes that are not being, you know, kids who are healthy and um, and this age group aren't at great risk to this, this disease. But they, they obviously can still spread it. They obviously can still get it. It's still dangerous. We don't know long-term, you know. And, and I, think, I think it's going to be difficult for the ITSC to have these, have an event like football um, if, if there is some sort of, you know, uh, if the, if it continues to grow and we get more and more cases, um, what are you going to do when, you know, if you have a, you know, a player test positive, I mean, especially like it's, you know, it's certain, I mean, in Illinois, they could have a player test positive and, you know, obviously, you know, we know that they've, these large universities have had players test positive, they quarantine, they continue testing, but a small, you know, a, a football program, a high school football program, you know, you have, if one player tests positive, do you then have to quarantine the whole team? Do you have to have the whole team tested? How do you, you know, so there's going to have to be some parameters that they cover. But I think if they don't have football for IHSA this fall, it's going to be difficult for the IHSA to, you know, honestly, it'll be difficult for them to stay afloat um, because they rely so much on the football revenue. So if you don't have IHSA football and you didn't have, last year they didn't have their state tournament, which is obviously a huge thing for them. You didn't have your baseball and softball on track in the spring, and you start getting rid of these state tournaments, state championships. Um, the IHSA doesn't charge like any membership fees, and, mm. and so I think that you're going to start. You're, they're going to have to start doing these things for revenue generation, and so they're they're in a they're in a, a lot of people are in a financial problem, and I think the the way sport high school sports work um, could change greatly. Talking to Brad Sturdy, Rivals.com. Back to uh, basketball. As it pertains to Illinois basketball, a lot of, not a lot, but some high school players are reclassifying to 2020, going to a prep school. One of the guys that reclassified this week, Alex Chiku, uh, moves from the 2021 class to 2020, and he has the Illini among nine of his finalists. What do you know about that situation, and what do you know about him as a player? He's a big man. Yeah, he's a, he's a big guy. I mean, 6'11", 6'10", 6'11", but he's also... He's really like skill. I mean, he's, he's not a not a back to the basket guy. I mean, he's a face up guy. He can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot the ball. He can run. I mean, he's a really athletic kid. He's he's got a chance. I mean, obviously, he needs strength. The, the great thing about him is talking about how he wants to uh, uh, play two years in college. Um, you know, because he feels like he needs that kind of development before he goes pro. And 
you know, I can't, he's going to be a really good player this year, wherever he goes, but I think his second year, he could be a monster. I mean, like, uh, you know, so he's got a chance to be really good. Illinois is in the mix for him. Obviously, you know, I I would say they're in the top three. Um, I, I don't, you know, I think, I don't know if they'd be considered the favorite right now, but I think they're, they've got a shot and they're making their pitches and they're trying to get him, you know, uh, you obviously can't have him visit, so you can't have that official visit thing going on, but what you're trying to do is make sure that he understands, you know, what role he can fill for you. And I think they, uh, they've done a good job of that. And so they've got a chance. He's a, uh, he's a special talent. I mean, he's, he's one of those kids that I think is a little bit, you know, hasn't maybe had the basketball experience. I mean, as some other kids, but he's, uh, he's really good. Um, he's a kid that would really make a difference for Illinois. Um, uh, he'd make an immediate difference. And then in his second year, I think he could be, uh, you know, like an all all conference caliber player. If Illinois is in the top three, any idea who the other two might be? Well, I'm pretty sure Florida State's one of them. Um, so, you know, and, and then you kind of go from there. Most people felt, have felt like they're the they're the team to beat. Um, you know, but it's a wide range of schools, and you never know on a given day. I mean, I've had kids give me a top three list, and then they pick a school not in the top three a few days later. So you just <laughs> never know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but uh, so I, I think that, but I think Illinois has done a good job with him, and we'll kind of see where he goes. I, I don't think it'll be too long. I think in the next couple of weeks, um, definitely in the next, next month, he'll be making his decision if he wants to be on campus this fall. In your conversations with high school kids, how have, how have those gone? Uh, obviously, they're different in the last uh, fifteen or sixteen weeks than they ever have been. Yeah. But do you, do you think they're handling things, and uh, how, how do you find the kids these days? You know, it's funny. There's, there's very, it's very, it varies greatly um, from kid to kid. You know, one kid is really, really, you know, um, you know, cautious and doesn't want to go play in events and doesn't want to, you know, just is going to work on his own. Um, then I've got kids who like they just can't wait to get back out on the court with their teammates. Um, it, it's really a, it's really, you know, it's much like our, you know, our country as a whole. I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, let's just let's just, you know, go. And some people are kind of like, you know, we got to be really cautious. And um, so there's very, very, uh, very, it varies greatly from kid to kid. And and there's not really a dynamic to that. I mean, I can't tell you that, you know, it's this kid, this type of kid or this type of kid or anything like that. It's just, they all have a a different viewpoint, a different background and a different, and some of them are really, you know, had a, for example, you've got some kids who are mid-major kids right now. That's where their offer lists are they felt like July was a chance for them to showcase their game. And then you've got some top 25 kids who, you know, they've got offers from every school in the, in the country, basically. They, they, don't, they aren't worried about July. They, they want to play maybe, but they're not worried about, you know, raising their stock. So everybody's in a different position. Um, everybody, you know, is, uh, you know, kind of has a different viewpoint. But I, I think it's been interesting for me just to see the different viewpoints from these kids. Like, you know, whether they want to play or don't want to play or whether they really are working on their game. I think that's the other thing. You can tell which kids when they come out here, which kids have been working on their own, you know, whether it's in a backyard, in a, you know, in a gym or wherever they can find, or just even working in a, in their, on ball handling in their, in the basement or something like that. You can tell which kids have been doing it and which kids is going to take more time to get back into the flow. Hey, Brad, always enjoy talking to you. We'll do it again. We'll let you get, uh, ready for your uh, list of uh, softball games today, and hopefully we'll bump into you in person again one of these days. 
Yeah, it'd be nice to see you guys again. Even even Lauren, you know. So, <laughs> Thanks, so. Brad. Appreciate that. <laughs> we'll talk to you right, soon, you Brad. Guys. Thank Bye. you. That's right. Brad Sturdy from Arrivals.com, Orange and Blue News, 930 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Have you uh, checked out or heard about the uh, new line at Illini Pella Lifestyle Series, wood doors and windows and patio doors? They've uh, had this line around for a little while, but it's still relatively new. But it provides outstanding sound control and energy efficiency at a very good value. Most styles are available with a triple pane glass, which can improve energy conservation. The uh, Pella Lifestyle Series is a leader in that category. Plus, you can personalize solutions for each room in your home with available product packages, several different packages available with the Pella Lifestyle Series. You can choose the features that fit your project's unique style. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you'll find the Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors, the perfect complement to your home and budget. You can find out more by calling the Pella Window Store, 356-6474 in Champaign. Check them out online at PellaOfChampagne.com. And they're back to a regular business hours, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. That's the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Say hi to Mike Mary and his staff. We'll take a time out and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk in just a moment. Hello, I'm Dan Holder of Holder Welcome. Welcome back. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, everybody. It's 933 with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you, as always. Even on the holidays until 11 o'clock today, we're going to talk some golf here in just a moment with Jackie Simoniak. But first, Alan in Montrose has been hanging on uh, during the break. Go ahead, Alan. You're on the air. Hey, guys. What time is the House of Pain game? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock on ESPN. Is that a single elimination? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if they win, okay. they will get the defending champion uh, in Columbus, Ohio, which is basically a team of former Ohio State players and Dimitri McKamey, who plays on that team. Yeah. Wow. Uh, who's the coach on that team? The Tulip. Michael Tulip. I have a 10. They've got nine or 10, roughly, and six, five or six former Illini guys. They've got three guys who are not affiliated with uh, the U of I. If they would win tonight, when would they play again? Uh, Wednesday, I think, yeah, Steve. Yeah, it, it's spread out over two weeks, roughly, or ten days. Oh, okay. Well, what's your guys' thoughts on uh, baseball season starting and uh, ending? I'm going 50-50 on the start and less than 50 on the ending. Can't disagree with you there. I think it'll get started. I don't know if it'll get all the way through it. I, I'd like to see it happen, but not if it's at the expense of somebody's safety. But uh, The tough choice, Steve, is going to be when you have something happen that will cause one team not to be able to play. Right, right. Then what does everybody else do? And all, what do they do with the teams that were scheduled to play them? And I, I, that's what I don't know. Because you know that something's going to happen on one of those teams that'll be serious and and they might have to hold off for a few days uh, without playing. Yeah. I think the next couple of weeks are critical, obviously, as we get closer to the uh, the end of the month when uh, baseball is supposed to start and basketball, NBA, is supposed to resume. I think you can say that about any sport this year. Yep, if I agree. If something happens to a uh, major league team anywhere, 
I don't know. It's going to put a crimp in a lot of things. It is. Alan, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh-huh. Let's uh, talk Jack now, or talk golf now with Jackie Sominiak, who is with us. Uh, good morning, Jackie. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. And yourself? Good. We had a chance to visit a little bit earlier this week with the big news out at what was known as Stone Creek Golf Club, will now be known as the Atkins Golf Club at uh, the University of Illinois. You've been on Mike Small's staff now for seven or eight years as Director of Golf Operations. It's my understanding you will continue in that role, but uh, will be an Assistant Athletic Director and General Manager. You're going to need an a, a extra-large business card to get all that on there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's certainly an exciting time for starters, just with the athletic department, the golf programs, the university as a whole, and even the community. I mean, there's a lot of, there were a lot of different uh, components to this gift, and it was certainly exciting to be able to announce it and kind of now start piecing, you know, piecing the puzzle together to see what exactly it, it can turn out to be and what an asset it'll be, especially for the golf program. Well, when you look at that, it has the potential to be a benefit and an asset in several different categories. Certainly, the two golf programs and, you know, getting a course that may be recognized at some point as one of the better courses in the Big Ten, but it's also big for the community as well because it will remain public, correct? Exactly. You are spot on about that. It's uh, It will be a public golf course, and what's really exciting to us is you know, this incredible gift from the Atkins family, they're, they're giving us a, a wonderful golf course. Um, you know, it's, you look at the bones of the golf course, the layout, when they built the club, uh, the, the clubhouse, the catering spaces, everything was definitely done on a, a grand scale. <laughs> and it was all done very um, just top shelf. And so with that being the case, it's, uh, it gives us a tremendous um, you know, tremendous tool to start with. And there's no doubt that the game has changed in 20 years. I mean, when when Stone Creek was first built, um, I know on the, well, the teams, I can say the teams had some tournaments out there. I know they hosted the Big Ten Championship on the men's side back in the early 2000s. So there were some, some great events out there. And obviously throughout the years, they've hosted, you know, some amateur and junior type events. But we definitely see this as an opportunity to, you know, to, to do some upgrades just because the game has changed so much and do some things that will, in fact, test our men and women even more and uh, give them a, a championship venue that can, you know, help them help elevate their games and prepare them for the biggest stage that uh, they all play at on the college level and dream to play at uh, beyond college, too. Jackie, this is Lauren. Uh, what's your responsibility as far as the, the uh, restaurant, the, uh, the, the clubhouse, uh, the, the locker rooms, and will the players mm-hmm. have separate locker rooms from the public? And just to explain that aspect of it and, and your involvement in that. Sure. So, so I will serve as the general manager for the overall facility. And with that being said, we are looking, you know, like most, or I shouldn't say most, but many golf courses and public golf courses do in terms of having a management company run that. Uh, So we're looking at having that running the golf course maintenance side of things as well as the pro shop. And then in terms of the restaurant and catering, we're looking into some different different options there at this point, um, potentially having having a separate restaurant operator. And at the end of the day, I will oversee it and be the connection with the athletic department. 
Um, but on the flip side, we plan on having a, a team of experts within each field around us too, so that it can certainly you know, stand, stand on its feet and, and uh, be set up for success. And at this point too, Lauren, there's definitely a lot to still be worked out. Um, so I won't say that we have all the answers right now, uh, but we're definitely ready and excited to be jumping into this and uh, just have it as a, a great asset to everybody around. Well, the players have their own uh, locker area in there. So what we're looking at doing is having potentially a recruiting kind of player lounge type uh, type spot. You know, we're we're very fortunate to have a tremendous facility, as you know, there on campus uh, that mm-hmm. currently houses a locker room for the team. So I don't know that there's a, a need to double up on that per se, um, but definitely the thought is to have some type of of area though that can be utilized by the team and also you know for recruits because this is one thing on you know on the recruiting standpoint we we've kind of checked all the boxes throughout the years i mean when you look at uh, the last 20 years and what i know coach small envisioned when he got here of what needed to, to happen to change on a facility standpoint to draw on the best players from all across the world uh, you know, that happened, obviously, with building of the Demersion Indoor Golf Facility. And then you take that a few years, what, about uh, maybe five years or so down the road, then we have the outdoor facility that's on campus, the Lords and Wollers Outdoor Facility. And so now this is just kind of a uh, one step further, obviously, to have our own uh, have our own golf course and to be able to tweak it. And there's due to that, I think there's a you know a need to to have something for the teams, but we don't need to go you know all out like we have at Demersion. Though uh, at this point, we're kind of thinking something a little more casual just for gatherings. But that's not to say it won't change between now and uh, you know three months from now either. So. Talking golf with Jackie Simoniak. She is with the U of I golf team and will be the general manager of the Atkins Golf Club, formerly known as Stone Creek. You you talk about tweaking the course. Right now from the tips, it plays at just over 7,100 yards. So you probably want to back that up some. I heard uh, the number of 500 yards roughly and maybe change some landing areas to accommodate the better players. I mean, the game has really changed, as you mentioned, in the last 20 years. The players are better. The equipment is better. The balls are longer. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a lot of things that go into that. But you also have the other side of that where you want to make improvements and tweaks for those guys, but you want to be able to do it with the uh, general public in mind, the, the mm-hmm. people that play out there from the regular tees or the senior tees or the ladies tees. Exactly. You're spot on, Steve. And, you know, one thing that you're seeing a lot as well when uh, golf courses undergo any type of renovation, yes, for for a um, you know, collegiate championship venue that we're thinking of, it is important to add. We're looking in that four to five hundred range. I think seventy five hundred would be a good a good distance to strive for. But just as importantly is, you know, maybe even adding some closer tees. You know, obviously uh, it's important now, you know, as well as any time, but just to try and grow the game. And you look at a lot of family tees that are starting to uh, junior type tees that are being set up at courses. So there, there's a lot to consider um, as we try and make this an enjoyable product for everybody, not just our teams, although that's uh, near and dear to our heart in terms of trying to prepare them for, uh, for big 10 national championships. Uh, it is, 
you know, it is a business and it's a, we have it as an asset, you know, we want it to be an asset for the community. So with that being said, it needs to be enjoyable for all. Um, and the great thing about that is, you know, as we talk about tightening up landing areas and, um, and just changing the conditioning of the golf course, all of that can, in my mind, I think if you, you know, if you do things the right way, that can in fact uh, be a great advantage to everybody. And, and just because, where our players are landing the ball, I can promise you that's not where I'm landing the ball uh, when I go out there to play. And I, I, I'm not going to test that for you, Steve. But um, well, uh, I'm with you on that. <laughs> and and so that that really excites me, though. I think it excites our our department and um, everyone involved, though, to really think of think of building something that's actually going to be beneficial for all. Um, and you just have to go go into it, I think, with an open mindset and uh, just kind of look into all the options. Let's squeeze in one phone call for Jackie Simoniak, Joe in Champaign. Go ahead, Joe. Hi, Jackie. I have a question. Uh, with regard to the golf course changes that I've read about, mm-hmm. are you going to do that in-house with respect to changing the course, or do you uh, expect to hire an outside golf course architect? And if so, uh, can you tell us who that might be? Thank you. Sure thing. Good question. Uh, and it's definitely, I guess there, there's certainly a lot to consider right now when looking at the changes that need to be done. We will, in fact, go outside in terms of hiring the architect. Even, I mean, it'll entail an architect at a construction company or golf construction company, I should say. And at this point, I, I can't get into too many details just because it's still being worked through um you know that's something that we are getting on asap just because time is of the essence uh, obviously we're as josh mentioned in the press conference and the announcement you know we are looking at opening up the golf course in the spring of 2021 so with that being the case uh, we want to have as many improvements as possible made so we are trying to get on it right away but uh those are some final things that haven't been worked out entirely yet. Hey, Jackie, appreciate your time. I could talk to you about golf all day, but uh, we don't have uh, enough time to do that on this particular day. But uh, congratulations on the way the week went and what the future holds for not only University of Illinois golf, but uh, the area golf as well. Well, much appreciated. We're excited and very grateful to the Atkins family for making this gift possible. You bet. Jackie Simoniak with us, 946 Appreciate her time. We'll take a break. We'll talk some Illinois women's volleyball coming up next here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 9.48, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Let's welcome uh, to the airwaves Illini volleyball coach Chris Thomas is with us. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning. Happy 4th to you all. Same to you. And uh, I'd ask if you're keeping busy, and I'm, I know what the answer is, but it's kind of a different kind of busy than you're used to uh, over the last uh, three months or so. How are you getting along? Well, getting along good. Uh, you know, we, we told the team from the get-go that this was just going to be, you know, a change for them, change for us, and uh, we just have to continue to adapt uh, like we always do during seasons and uh, through, you know, a variety of issues. So just another challenge put in front of us and another way that we still have to figure out how to be uh, efficient and effective. So you started getting the players back earlier this week. Is everybody back? Uh, not everyone's back. Uh, we have uh, 
we have Bruna who's overseas right now, uh, had to figure out a route to get back to the United States. And uh, then we have a couple of players who are, who are waiting to come back once season starts. So, but uh, most of the team's back right now. Uh, they just went through their testing this week and then assuming all tests go well, then they'll be released uh, to start training uh, in the coming weeks here. What do those workouts uh, look like? Uh, how will you start once that happens? Yeah, so traditionally, this isn't anything different for us. Uh, we're usually not, uh, we don't have contact with our players uh, during the summer. So they're used to coming back and working on their own. Um, our strength and conditioning uh, program, Coach Emily Schilling, can work with them. Uh, and she will do so once they're all cleared. And then uh, hopefully we get to start season. We're trying to push the start season a little bit early because uh, we didn't get a spring. But uh, with that being said, we understand the circumstances and uh, we'll, we'll get what we can take. And if we have to start on the regular date, uh, the team knows they got to be in shape and ready to go. Well, Chris, what's the, what's the date of your of official full practices and the date of the first match? It's, it seems to me like it's pretty tight. Yeah, and it always has been. And normally uh, we would start just shortly after the first week of August. We were supposed to start on August 10th. Uh, we pushed to try to move it to July 15th. Uh, that did not go through. Um, and we we went uh, we got a few days earlier, so we're starting on August 7th this year. And then the first match is, uh, I believe, 21 days later on August 28th or so. So uh, a short turnaround, but again, you know, something that we're used to, and uh, we'll be ready for it. Uh I'm. I believe you might have what would it be fair to say five of regulars that were that are graduated and gone. So you're you're going to be is you're going to be building from a pretty new outfit, aren't you? Yeah, that's what maybe made this you know the the spring cutoff a little bit difficult for us, just because we ha- we lost five starters, like you mentioned, and uh, we need a chance to uh, you know see everyone in action. Normally in a spring uh, setting, it's a lot more technical. Uh, a lot a lot more chances to train uh, like you said you know the season from the get-go gets going pretty quickly so it's tough to get uh, all the all the exact training that you need in a normal uh, fall season so losing out on the spring uh, that's where the hurts us the most where we don't have a chance to develop maybe a chance to create some of those important relationships in the backcourt and in the front court and uh, so you know again just the way it is and uh I, I think you know. I, I, I love the team. I love their out, uh, their mindset of everything, and I know that they'll work their hardest to uh, be prepared for the season. Chris, are, is there any possibility you might be playing in the State Farm Center this year, in addition to Huff or in place of Huff? Yeah, we're we're looking at all options right now, and uh, you know it's tough to say what's going to end up happening with you know the the governor rules, and you know we're just hoping we're gonna we're gonna play. So <laughs> what's that's what's most important for us. But we're looking at all options and uh, making sure that we're uh, doing our due diligence to try to make it the best environment for both our athletes and our fans. Is it fair to say you will practice at, at Huff? Uh, yes. Okay. How has all this, uh, Chris, affected the, the schedule? Has it changed the schedule at all? Well, where it's changed the most is traditionally we have our schedule set up uh, by now, of course, and uh, usually we, we've signed all of our contracts and everything else. But once this hit, whatever it was, back in February, late February, early March, uh, uh, everyone started to kind of get different directives and everyone has an understanding. So we've had tournaments put in place, but now teams are jumping out because maybe uh, we can no longer fly by plane. Maybe it's better to fly uh, to take a bus. Um, and that's that's not specific maybe to us, but other 
states are going to have different rules. So you're just seeing a lot of shuffling going on uh, internally right now, and uh, you know we'll come up with with the good uh, pre pre conference schedule and uh, conference schedule set as well. So uh, assuming that uh, we're we get the clearance to play uh, across the country, uh, you know we'll have we'll still have a, a solid schedule. Might that be a more regionalized non conference? Yeah, we are already set up to go fairly regionalized anyways, uh, just because I believe there's really strong competition here, and uh, it doesn't make sense uh, for us to travel far and wide in the pre-conference, especially when our our, uh, our own conference is, is a little bit brutal in that regard. So we, we've already had set up uh, to go regional, and uh, I think there's one exception with the Pac-12 challenge that we're involved in. Uh, out in Colorado, but uh, everything else was already set up to be regional anyway, so we're, we're already in good shape in that regard. Chris, do you have some freshmen coming in that you think might uh, play immediately? Well, we have three freshmen coming in. One joined us uh, in the in the winter time, uh, Maddie Whittington, and uh, uh, the middle blocker, and then uh, she'll she'll compete for a spot, I believe. And then Raina Terry from Ohio, six four outside hitter. Uh, also, that position's open, and then Sophie Gregis, uh, whose father and, and uncle play football here, uh, is, will also uh, be a great addition and also be uh, fighting for a spot. We don't, uh, we can't. It's tough to predict in these times who who has a chance and who doesn't. Uh, you know about who kept up in shape and who's who's going to kind of show their stripes, so to speak, once we once we get going. Have they been able to play in actual matches uh, at different sites and different places, or? Have they just been required to train on their own? Well, it really depends on what state they've been in, and uh, some states, as you know, open you know differently than others. So uh, the ones uh, were able to go in. I don't think anyone's played six on six, to my knowledge. Most of it's just been getting in the gym and be able to handle a, a ball. And uh, in our sport, especially, uh, you know how specific it is. You need to have live action. It's really tough to get good by just passing a ball against the wall. Um, you know, when you're not seeing it coming at you, you know, 67 miles an hour. So, uh, in that regard, not, not many have, but I know some have, and, uh, I hope we get clearance to, to get going here pretty soon. Another minute or two with uh, Chris Thomas. Back when you were in school and you were studying, uh, deciding what you wanted to do for a living and decided you wanted to be a coach and a volleyball coach. And, and I doubt that there was ever any kind of course on how to deal with coaching in a pandemic. <laughs> and how has that changed your approach and the approach of your staff, and how have you dealt with that? Well, interestingly enough, I, I actually tell the team, if you're wanting to play professional, much what we did is much like playing professional volleyball, where you're kind of in your, your own four walls, and uh, with the exception, of course, of, of playing the actual match. But when we go play overseas, you're sometimes – you know, in far and away lands and you don't really speak the local language. Uh, there's not really an opportunity to go outside uh, unless you're really adventurous. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things where it's just, hey, this is, what, this is what the challenge is. We took a lot of time in the spring, not necessarily to go over, uh, to, to go over the sport, but we went over a lot of team culture stuff and a lot of what we want to do as a team or continue to do as a team. And uh, we just, again, try to use, utilize that time uh, to be the most effective, and I, and I believe that uh, that was the course we took, and I, I believe that was the right one. Got a call from uh, Gary in Urbana with a question for Illinois volleyball coach Chris Thomas. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, I apologize for not remembering her name, but we had a recruit last year that had surgery and, and couldn't play all year, 
and she's pretty highly touted. Um, is she going to be able to play this year? Uh, you're speaking of Ellie Holzman, and uh, she's been doing great with her recovery, and uh, it seems that she's back in full strength. So we expect her to be on the court and uh, uh, practicing with us and having a shot to, to break the roster. Well, that's, that's great for us and for her. So thank you. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Gary, thanks for the call. The Big Ten is brutal in volleyball, as we know. Uh, have you looked ahead to the Big Ten schedule yet, or have you been consumed by everything and getting to that point? I'm kind of a, a one day at a time type of guy, so uh, I, I see the schedule. I uh, I know what it looks like, but you know, any given week you're going to have a, a a pretty big challenge in front of you. So, a lot of it for me has always been about just preparing the team to be our best every single day and to keep improving uh, as the season goes on. And and uh, you know, I think that's really how we define our success. It's it's not always just winning every single match. It's about where we start and where we finish and. Uh, able to maximize every single day. And so that's what we're focused on. Uh, the Big Ten's going to be as tough as ever. A lot of teams that return who are made uh, Final Four, Elite Eight runs, who return a lot of starters. So uh, we know we know what that challenge looks like, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to prepare for it. Hey, Chris, uh, again, appreciate your time. Happy Fourth of July, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Same to you guys. Happy Thanks, 4th. Chris. Chris Thomas, Illinois volleyball coach. They were 16-14 and 14 last season, 11-9. and nine. In the Big Ten, of course, they lost uh, Jacqueline Quaid, the Dyke Edelman Award winner, and uh, that's, uh, that's those are some big shoes to fill there, Lauren. Yeah, she was really good for more than one year. Yes. She was terrific. Indeed. Moving up on 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, hour number one of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. Coming up in hour number two, we will talk with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com. He covers college football and writes about that, and we'll also visit with Dr. Sheldon Jacobson from the University of Illinois. He's a computer science professor. All that's still ahead. We've got some time for open line as well. 356-9397. We're back with hour number two in just a moment. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're with you until 11 o'clock, as usual. Happy 4th of July. 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to join us. Had a lively first hour. Kicking off uh, hour number two with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com, senior writer there. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Happy uh, 4th of July, and we're kind of working on the holiday, talking about sports with no games to cover. But unfortunately, we're kind of getting used to that, but we're also looking forward to to the time when we have games again, even though I'm not sure we know when that will be. But I think the next couple of weeks are pretty important in that regard. And let's focus on, on college football, what you're hearing about that and the likelihood in your mind of it getting started on time. Yeah, you know, I think there's there's real concern. Um, you know, just with the numbers that have gone up, the number of schools that have had to you know stop their voluntary workouts, um, even even if it's not directly tied to positive tests in their athletic community. You saw what happened at Arizona last week, basically stopping their workouts or stopping the integration of players to their campus because their state and their county 
uh, the numbers of virus cases have been going way up there. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say it's 50-50 at best right now that the season starts um, on time. And I, I think that the, 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 a lot of people are looking at the spring as, as kind of a last resort, but maybe a more realistic uh, situation. We could still see um, areas of the country where you haven't seen, you know, the, the major rises or the, the, you know, the athletic departments that have been able to keep it under control. Maybe they can still start the season this fall. There's just so much uncertainty. I think a big, a big decision will be on Wednesday when the Ivy League decides what it wants to do. And I don't know it's the Ivy League. It's not, you know, the Big Ten or the SEC, but oftentimes they, you know, one league does something and other sorts uh, kind of follow after that. And, and they, they could decide to say, you know what, we're not going to have fall sports or we're going to look at the spring for football. They're, you know, that, that, that could really set, set a lot of things in motion. How do you think the Big Ten will deal with that? They have not uh, really come out and said anything as a conference yet, but do you think it will be everybody in or everybody out for the Big Ten? Well, you know, it's hard to say at this point. I think the Big Ten would love to have everybody in. I think the one thing to keep in mind is that every league, including the Big Ten, has a medical advisory group that's talking a lot um, about how to manage the virus. And the Big Ten, to its credit, put together a really good group back in March. And you know the, 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 the numbers that I've seen as far as reported cases in the Big Ten are, are certainly not nearly as extreme as they are in other places of the country. And so could, could, could the Big Ten, if things stay as they are, go forward and maybe just have a conference-only schedule, a shorter schedule, and still have a conference championship? That's an option um, I'm sure that they're looking at. But I, I think you have to see what happens after this weekend. Are we going to see rising cases? I, I've talked to some coaches in the Big Ten that think we will because uh, of the holiday, and a lot of people are congregating this weekend for Fourth of July. So that, that's why there's so many, um, you know, there's so many variables here. But I, I do think uh, you know leagues that want to play this fall, and I know many of them do. Uh, a smart option would be to just play conference only, because at least then you've been in communication from the very start as to how you're handling the virus, how you're testing for the virus, and then what you know what everybody has available to them as far as. The, the testing and, and you know what everyone's protocols are going to be. So I, that, that, that could be a way to still play this fall. Uh, Adam, this is Lauren. Talk about the Patriot League and what it means when they don't report till apparently the 1st of September, which means they can have no September games, which would affect Syracuse, would affect Army, would affect Navy. Uh, is, there any, is that the way that league is going to be? And is there anything like that elsewhere in the country? Right, yeah, I think that's that's certainly starting to happen, Lauren. And you know, anyone who's who has a Patriot League opponent on their schedule, you know, is probably going to be looking for a new opponent if they want to play this fall. I mean, the Patriot League's already said that um, you know they're they're not going to be flying to games, uh, and they're probably just going to play each other. I, I really think that's the way to go if you're adamant to play this fall. When we, we we know there won't be a vaccine, we know there's going to be cases on every single one of these campuses, especially when the student body gets back. I, I really think the easiest way, or I, I didn't want to use that term, but, but probably the, the most prudent way to have a season is to just play one another because you know, that, 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 that's the point of having a conference is that you have you know, kind of similar um, resources and you're communicating on a regular basis. And so I, I think the Patriot League, if they play football, and I don't know if they will this fall, will only play one another. And I really think that that goes all the way up to the highest levels of football. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody to play non-conference opponents because of the differences. And it may not be you know, only just what, what's going on, on on that campus that you're playing uh, a non-conference opponent, but what's going on in that area. And, and it's difficult to project right now. I mean, you know, here in Illinois, or at least in Chicago, 
Uh, we, we, they, they just put out an advisory that, um, you know, if you come in from these states, you have to quarantine for 14 days. So how is that going to affect teams in Illinois that, that have a, an opponent from California or from Texas or from Florida? You know, those are just some of the states that are on that quarantine list. Well, now, if you've got a team like Illinois State that's just a few, uh, a few miles over here and they play the opener against Illinois, they need that money. And that's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a big payday for them, and it kind of helps run their program, their non-conference games. How can they afford not to play their non-conference games? Well, yeah, I mean, for those programs, it's absolutely critical that they have, uh, that they have these types of games. Um, but, you know, again, I think if you're Illinois and, and if you feel comfortable enough with Illinois State and you know what their testing is going to be like and, and you're relatively in the same area, that's not as much of a concern. You could probably have that game, but there's a lot of non-conference games where the stakes are, are equally as high, um, and you don't know necessarily what, what's going to be going on in those areas. It might be a, even a, one state away could, could be a concern. Or is that team going to be on a plane, or are they going to be busing up to, 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 to play our, our game? So it's definitely a concern, and I get it from a, from a financial standpoint for the group of five and for the FCS, but I also would not blame the Power Five because they have the resources, because they've been in communication, because they have, in many cases, the best doctors, to just say, you know what, I'm sorry, guys, we're going to play each other, and that's going to be it for this season. But even when you do that, if you do that, Adam, uh, you know, the Big Ten covers a lot of ground, covers a lot of states. Yeah. Uh, there could be a scenario when the week of uh, Illinois going to Rutgers or somebody else going somewhere else that something comes up and a game might have to be canceled. Absolutely. And that's what everyone has to be prepared for. And, you know, what's the number of positive tests um, on, on, a, on a roster or with a coaching staff where you just say, you know what, we can't safely play this game. And, you know, I, we talked to athletic directors, my colleague and I, that have said, you know, m- maybe you have a, 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 you know, almost a portal of, 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 of available opponents. And, and, and it, once you're either you had a bye week that was built in or you had a canceled game and suddenly you're available to play, maybe that's a way. That, that you can still have some of these um, non-conference games occur. But it's absolutely possible, to your point, because, yeah, the Big Ten is a, a, large, a large footprint of the country from, from, uh, from you know, Lincoln, Nebraska to, to, uh, to Rutgers and Maryland. You know, same thing with the SEC, same thing with leagues like the American. I mean, you got, you got, you got Louisiana in there and you got, um, you got, you got Philadelphia in, in the same conference. And so that's going to be very tricky. And we're likely going to see some canceled games, even if they go conference only. Uh, Adam, we've had some uh, interesting comments by some of the Illinois players. Uh, Milo Eifler uh, came out with some statements, and then jo- Josh Matabebe said today that he's pushing for He thinks that there should be a, a player's union, that they, they need a voice, that they're not being heard. Your reaction, have you heard some of that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to see more players. There's a, a, te- a player at Texas who said who's already said he's not going to play this fall. And again, I I can't blame any of those players for being concerned, you know, because there are so many unknowns and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, just about their safety and what it's going to be like week to week and, and what happens if you get the virus and, and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, again, right, I think we're at a time right now where players are speaking out more than ever about all sorts of issues. And so it's not a big surprise to see uh, players, you know, be more outspoken about 
what, you know, the, the, you know, just the situation that we're in a global pandemic and, and we're also trying to prepare for a football season. And so, you know, Illinois players have been very impressed with, with their, with, 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 with the things that they've said um, and continue to say, uh, and it just shows that they're, they're, they're very cognizant of the situation and they want to be involved. Now, you know, how, how far that gets and there, there aren't very many groups outside of the, the, the one college, uh, the, 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 what is it, the CAPA um, that's out there to represent college players. So there's not a huge number of those types of organizations, but I think, I think it's, a, it's a time where we could see more of that happening. Um, I don't know if it'll be full on uni- the, the union push, but, but there, is, uh, there is a desire, I think, for more players to kind of take control right now of what's going to happen to them. Well, uh, before I get off the unions, are you familiar with the Northwestern situation a few years ago? What, what shut yeah. that down? What caused that not to take place? Well, you know, at the end, it was the the National Labor Labor Relations Board in Chicago, um, you know, just, just ruled that it wasn't um, that they couldn't even look at the vote. And now, I, I I did hear that I think if they looked at the vote uh, to unionize or not, I don't think it would have gone through in the end. But um, but again, they they kind of reversed course there at the last minute after after saying that that Northwestern had the right to unionize. At the very end, they they kind of they kind of flipped it the other way. Now, my understanding is I don't know if any any athletes from a public school could be able to unionize. I think that was one of the reasons why Northwestern was looked at as a, a place that you could do it as a private institution. But yeah, from what I recall of that situation, uh, it was it was the NLRB at the last minute deciding, you know, what we're not even going to look at the the vote tabulation for uh, for Northwestern. But I, I still, again, would have been surprised if it had gone through completely with, with the vote, with what I know about the voting there. You mentioned, uh, and we've heard uh, talk about spring football coming up, maybe starting in February or March and going for three months. Uh, that, I guess, is a possibility. But what happens, do you, do you see a case where, say, the Southeastern Conference thinks it can play in the fall but others don't. I don't see how we could have some people playing in the fall and others playing in the spring. Do you? Well, unless you just look at the season just differently, and and we may all have to do that. Right. I think, again, this is something that is unprecedented for for all of us. Uh, and maybe the season is just playing for a conference championship, and there's no national playoff, and who knows about the bowls? I mean, that, that that's certainly a possibility that you only have a few leagues that feel comfortable enough that they can play in the fall. And then everybody else would, would go to the spring. I, I sense that it'll be one or the other in, in the end. Uh, but, you know, again, given how much football matters to every single athletic department, uh, I think everyone's going to try to do what they can to at least get some semblance of a season in, even if, even if it is in the spring. And, you know, I, 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 I've tried to embrace the model in the spring. I just have a lot of concerns, guys, about not, not just simply the virus and where we're at, but, but, but just the, the health and safety of the athletes and the fact that, you know, uh, we, we don't know that much about head injuries. I mean, we know more than we did maybe five or ten years ago, but you're essentially asking uh, these college athletes to play maybe 20 games in a calendar year. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of impact to the head. Um, what happens for players who get injured early in that first season and they have to have surgery? Are they out for that second season? That's really unfortunate. So I, I think you know, we talked a moment ago about players at Illinois and other places taking control uh, of their situations. I think you're going to see a lot of players sit out or uh, just express concern about having to play two, two seasons in one calendar year. And I think anyone that has real aspirations for the NFL would, would be wise not to play in the spring. Does college football need a czar or a commissioner or somebody to say, here's the way it's going to be? 
this has been talked about for a really long time, and it's certainly been magnified by the current situation because it doesn't feel like there's any one voice. There, there's the, you know, it's, the NCAA can't really regulate the sport as much as I think a lot of people think they should right now, uh, just because of the way that it's structured. And you know, you, you wonder if this pushes us closer to having you know one centralized body or a commissioner of sorts of college football. But um, you know, another idea that's come up as well, looking at the resources. Uh, even around testing is why doesn't the power five just break off and do its own thing? And that's also been around for a few years. So I think you, you have to wonder how this situation, which nobody could have seen, you know, even, even six, seven months ago, affecting college football this much, how much it moves the sport closer towards some of those things, whether it's a commissioner or a centralized body governing the sport that isn't the NCAA, or if it's uh, the power five schools breaking off and just saying, you know what, we all have similar resources. We can play one another, and that's how we're going to have this sports structure from here on out. Uh, Adam, regardless of how this turns out, we're going to have less money coming to these programs, these athletic programs. But first of all, it's very hard to sell advertising right now, and then in order for the TV networks to make money, they have to sell advertising, and that's where the money comes from. That uh, you know that. It comes in these distributions. Illinois got $53 million from the Big Ten last year. They're not going to get that this year. We know that already. My question is, how is this going to affect all the other sports when the football money may not be – Which the football money has been paying for these other sports. What's going to happen to the other sports? Yeah, Lord, we're going to have a big piece out on, on Monday, I think, about the Olympic sports. And, you know, not so much that it's just doom and gloom for them, which, you know, I, I get that that's out there and there's a number of programs that have been eliminated, but how they're looking to save themselves and some of the creative approaches around scheduling, just around budgets that the Olympic sports are looking at because they realized, you know, that they were already, you know, kind of on the edge there financially even when times were great and a lot of money was coming in, but it's going to be, like you mentioned, a really tough go of it, um, at least for the next few few years, I would say, from a financial standpoint. And so, you know, again, I, I think you're going to see programs continue to be cut. But in some cases, I don't know if that's always the best, uh, the best move. I mean, a lot of those, uh, those programs, the, the, the athletes there are paying tuition. So they're enrolling and they're paying tuition and they're bringing money into the school. And so is there a smarter way to go about the Olympic sports. I think one thing you're going to see uh, in many places, you know, maybe not in the Big Ten, but it's certainly a lot of the group of five levels, is an independent scheduling model for pretty much every sport. So essentially, yeah, you're in a league, but you need to create a schedule that uh, really is, is, is on the cheap, is, is going to save as much money as possible. And then if we want to have a league tournament at the end of the year, and obviously NCAA tournaments, those types of things, we can have them. But the idea where you have, you know, a, a Sunbelt team flying two time zones away to play a conference game in a sport that you know is going to lose a ton of money. That makes absolutely no sense. You know, in the sport of gymnastics, I spoke to the men's gymnastics coach at Minnesota. One thing that they're looking at, and this is fascinating and may, maybe only exclusive to, to gymnastics, is, is having a virtual competition. So instead of having oh, wow. uh, yeah. in, in one venue – you know, you, in gymnastics, you, you're not exactly competing against someone right next to you. So you can be on your mat, and the other team can be on their mat, and the judges can be at home, and they can be watching it uh, on, a, on a live stream. As long as everything is working, uh, technology, you could save $15,000 on that trip. 
uh, by just staying at home. So there, there's some real creative approaches. I mean, the, there's a there's a baseball proposal out there to push the season back, which they say will save both the northern schools and the southern. Or the, they'll, they'll save the northern schools money and create more revenue for the southern schools. So there's some smart smart ideas out there from these Olympic sports because they realize. Uh, if something doesn't change, you know, given the financial losses that are coming in, it's going to be very hard for them to survive. We'd sure like to see baseball push back. <laughs> yeah. Those games played in the early season are just windblown and rainy up here. Well, and, and it's not just that, Lauren. It, 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 it's that, you know, you, when you start the season on Valentine's Day, we can't play in Illinois. So all those teams are having to get on planes and spend a ton of money yeah. to, ju- to just get games in in Florida and California. Right. And that just you, you look at the travel budget for the first month of the season and you look at the travel budget for the last month of the season and it's just it's, it's insane. And so push the season back. You don't have to make those trips if you don't want to or you can't afford it. And then the southern schools actually get more home games in May and June when the attendance shows that they have higher attendance. So it all kind of works out for everyone. I should say. So I think there's a lot of things that make sense that just need to be pushed through. And and maybe the pandemic, the pandemic will allow that to happen. Adam, thank you very much for coming on. We we realize it's the 4th of July today. We realize we took time out of your holiday if you have a holiday. And uh, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you. Well, thanks, guys. I always enjoy being on with you and uh, hope you and your families enjoy the day. Same to you, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com, senior writer, covers college football. He's covered the Big Ten, still does quite a bit, and we see him usually a time or two at the Memorial Stadium for a football game. 10:20, need to take a break. Got a little open line segment coming up. If you've been waiting to jump in, do it after this here on DWS. Welcome back to the show, 10:22 is the time. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. The phone line is open 356-9397. Let's go to the phones and Rick from Champaign is calling in. What do you say, Rick? Hi, uh, Stephen Lauren. Um, I always loved, of course, seeing um, Io play because uh, he seemed like, especially the last minute of every game, it was like, um, give me the ball and stay out of my way. You know, he he was always such a scorer and always so uh, uh, much fun and exciting to watch. The guy that uh, from the ancient past in Illinois basketball who reminds me of him is Andy Kaufman because he always seemed like he was a scorer. It was one of those things when the game was on the line, you know, just give me the ball and just stay out of my way. I always was fascinated when he was on a fast break and he would get at the top of the key, and he would make that spin move to try to get around the guy backpedaling, guarding him. And it seemed like some of the refs weren't sure if that was traveling or not. And once in a while he'd be called on it, and uh, other times they'd just let it go. And he'd do that spin move and go around the guy and and, uh, either get a shot or or go in and, and get a, a layup. Um, do you gentlemen know, uh, it, did he ever have a chance after college to try out for uh, pro ball? And uh, do you know where he's at now and what he's doing? He's in Jacksonville. And the last I knew, he was working at a school over there. I'm not sure what he's doing now. But uh, I don't think he uh, really um, vigorously pursued any basketball playing after he left here. Not but boy, to my knowledge. Well, can that guy shoot the ball? Oh man, yeah, yeah. and he was oh, dead. 
he made every free throw he ever shot in the last two minutes. <laughs> and I was doing the TV games back then, so I was close by. He had many conversations with the referees about that spin move. <laughs> I don't know that we ever knew whether it was traveling or not. Right. We just knew that some officials called it and some didn't. Right. Yeah, well, that's that, That's really neat. Uh, weren't there one or two state high school basketball records that may still be held by him, like best how many free throws in, uh, or, or you know he made, or or what uh, the record might be? But it seemed like he when he came to Illinois, he held one or two high school records yeah. of some sort. It it, it was, had to do with free throws in the last quarter or something. His coach wrote a book about it about That's basketball amazing. there and, and mentioned that I think he held some kind of a free throw record. Uh, that's my recollection. Oh. And okay, percentage-wise, well, the percentage that he hit late was unbelievable. Yeah, and that's something. Well, thanks a lot. Um, you uh, guys always uh, do such a good show. Always enjoy it. Thank, Thank you, you, Rick. Appreciate the call. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number if you'd like to jump in here. Some News earlier in the week, uh, Big Ten-wise, they were picking a, an all-decade group of football players. They did it for basketball, and they had a first team, second team, and such. And uh, former Illinois defensive end Whitney Merciless, Lauren, as you know, was named to the Big Ten Network all-decade second team. A lot of good players on you those bet. teams. You bet. And by the way, Ohio State had more than anybody by a big margin. Yeah, they did. And there were about, hmm, I'm going to say what 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 do Ohio State have? Seventeen, seventeen players picked first and second team, and there were like, I'm going to guess, seven teams, seven members of the half of the teams in the Big Ten had two or less, and they and had, some had none. They had two quarterbacks on the first team. <laughs> did you notice that? I did not. J T. Barrett was the first okay. team quarterback, but okay. Braxton Miller was also in the first team. As uh, that, all, all around, no, it was he was like an all-purpose guy, all-around oh, player. Okay. So, let's uh, go back to the phones and uh, Steve in Princeton. Hey, Steve. Hello, Steve. Are you there? I hear you, Steve. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, two questions. One has kind of been forgotten, but I hadn't forgot about it because I'm uh, a little bit older and it's a uh, priority for me. But a year and a half ago, Larry Lubin and Steve Lanner gave money to start a Lou Henson, I think, scholarship, they named it, for former players that hadn't finished their college degree yet. And I was just wondering if you knew of any players that were coming back and finishing it, because when I heard about that, I thought, wow, we can do that at Illinois State. And we started it going. And I know one guy is 62 years old. He's one of the all-time leading scorers in Illinois State. And he just finished his three-hour course, and he's going to take another course uh, starting in July. And he's on his way to completing his degree. And I just wondered if anybody in Illinois is doing that that you're aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I don't know. I've heard that uh, some players do come back. I don't know if it's under that particular program but they they have been back i know dj richardson was back for a little while doing mm -hmm. some doing some stuff and uh, so yes they do do that and a lot of times it goes unpublicized because they like to kind of fly under the radar but uh, i think it's a great idea but i know it was quite a deal when steve lanner and larry lubin gave money or started the funding of it they mm -hmm. named it after lou Hansen. right 
And then the second question is, a couple weeks ago you had a Panagraph reporter on. He was talking about the high school sports and Bloomington Normal and why they're doing so well and so forth. Mm-hmm. And last week I saw on our local news up here on the Quad Cities TV station that Decatur's population has gone from 100,000 to 70,000. And I don't know if you've heard that or not. It's one of the top ten in the country in terms of lost population. Decatur is. And, I mean, for me, that's got to affect your high school sports, who eventually maybe some of them go on to play college sports, but that's a heck of a drop-off and affects your high school sports. <laughs> population has a lot to do with it. Enrollment has an awful lot to do with it, yes. But, but losing 30,000 people out of a city, Decatur, that used to be prominent in high school sports and kids to college, I mean, that was just stunning to me. It's the same thing in Rockford, and it's this uh, similar thing in Peoria. So, anyway, I think we got challenges ahead of us, but I enjoy your show. All right, thank you. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for calling. Let's uh, squeeze in one more call here for Rob in Champaign. Go ahead, Rob. Hey, good morning. You are uh, talking about Ohio State there, Steve. I was wondering uh, what your opinion was on uh, Columbus uh, renaming their city. Uh, I believe it's Chef Boyardee. They want to name it, something like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we have time for for that discussion. But I don't you understand. Have opinion on that. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on in a lot of places these days. Okay. Well, yeah, but but speaking of changing names, it uh, looks like the the <laughs> Indians may be uh, joining the Redskins. Yeah, maybe joining the. I mean, of course, I think that Warriors sounds like a pretty Washington Warriors. How's that sound to you? <laughs> sounds a lot like Redskins to me. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate the call, Rob. Ten thirty. We'll take a break and be back with more Alani Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Stay with us. Ten thirty-three, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS with you until eleven o'clock this morning. Glad you're with us on the Fourth of July. Been kind of a lively show so far today, and we've got uh, another twenty-seven or eight minutes here on the program. If you'd like to jump in, we welcome our next guest, Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, a computer science professor at the University of Illinois. Doctor, uh, good morning. Welcome to the program. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Happy July 4th. Same to you. You've uh, done some research and uh, it's been uh, picked up by some national publications about uh, the pandemic and how things are going on with this uh, COVID-19 situation and what might be in the future. Can can you give us a football has played this fall? Sure. If schools decide to continue their plans with in-class education and football players come back and go about their normal activities as football players. So I focused my attention on the football bowl series team. So 110 of them, around 120 players per. So we're talking around 13,000 players. And I looked at data available from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention based on their age cohort, uh, I came up with the estimation that we would see between four and seven deaths among those 13,000 players, uh, which can be attributable to uh, COVID-19. Well, if that was the case, what do you think would ha- Just Let's just take one death. What do you, how do you think that would affect the program I mean, in terms of playing games? Well, one has to look a little deeper into the analysis, Lauren, because if you look at a particular team, so I actually went and collected some data from the Illinois website and said, 
what kind of risk does the University of Illinois football team have? And I, would, and I came up with the calculations that the probability, the chance that we would have no deaths through the entire season would be between uh, 94 and 99 percent. It's almost certain that the team would get through. Now, there would be cases. There could be as many as 30 cases or 40 cases. I've been looking at Clemson, LSU, the data coming out from a lot of schools, and the cases are quite uh, common and are going to continue to grow. Some teams may have half their team infected, but in their age group, the actual risk to hospitalization and deaths is very, very small. In fact, the most important point is that once a university, like the University of Illinois or any university, makes a decision to have in-class education, the added risk to the football team is actually minimal. Really? Most of the risk is absorbed by the fact that they're here on campus because 18 to 22-year-olds are going to act like 18 to 22-year-olds. They'll be told to wear masks, and that's kind of an easy one. But social distancing is not compatible with higher education. No. And the players, when they're going to be practicing with each other, they're going to form little bubbles, which is the right thing to do. But you're going to have interaction of these bubbles, and all it takes is one player in a bubble to uh, spend some time with friends, and the next thing you know, they get infected. There's a high probability they're going to be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. There's a pre-symptomatic period. They infect others. And all you need is one or two bad cases on a team. Uh, I looked a little closer at the Illinois team also, saying, well, you know, what kind of profile do they have? They're 18 to 22 or 23-year-olds, reasonably healthy people. However, uh, around a quarter of them would be classified as obese. These are the linemen. And obesity is considered a condition that predisposes you to bad outcomes with COVID-19. So if we're going to see problems, if we're going to see a handful of hospitalizations, it's most likely going to be on the line. Well, I would think that's right, but I would also say that when you call them obese, there's one, uh, what I visualize as obese is somebody who's fat. A lot of these guys have got a lot of muscle. I mean, they're, they're pretty hard for, for being obese. They're pretty strong, and they're probably in pretty good condition because they have to run and they have to do all these training that they do. I, would, I don't think you would quite throw them into the same level as an obese person who was older and maybe in just plain fat. You, you are correct, Lauren. Some of them are very solid, even though their, their numbers, the, the calculus of their weight and their height, say that they're obese because of their BMI, their body mass index. And then there's some tight ends which fall into that group. But there's some linemen who are 330 pounds, and that's not 330 pounds of muscle in their stomach. There is some factors that will contribute. And we don't fully know the calculus of the, of the biology that leads to bad outcomes. But these people will be marginally more at risk, and that's where you're most likely going to see the outcomes. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Well, Sheldon, if we had, let's just say, I hate to say it, but if you have one death in the conference, what does that, uh, what does that mean for the rest of the teams? Well, I'm going to tell you something that has not been reported, uh, because most people who have been reading my research have assumed that I'm against college football coming back, and the fact is that is not correct. 
Okay. I'm going to give you a little more data that is not being reported. So I dug out, and I'm a data scientist whose specialty is using risk analysis to inform public policy and public health decisions. You know, I contributed to the design of TSA PreCheck, for example, to give you an example. So I looked at the last 10 years of college football. How many deaths were there? There were actually 98. 98 deaths to college football players, approximately 10 per year. Now, with those 10, I also looked at the football uh, bowl series teams. There were 41 of those 98. Now, what were most of them? Most of them were accidents, you know, automobile accidents, for example. The second highest group were health-related. Some players collapsed during the uh, uh, summer training because mm-hmm. of heat. Uh, then the next group was homicides and, sh- suic- uh, homicides and shootings. The last group, very small, was suicides, and then there were some others which we couldn't attribute to any one of those categories. The point I'm trying to make is that if we played college football this year without COVID-19, we would probably see around 10 deaths and four in the FBS teams. If we play it with it, there's a marginal increase in risk. Now, these are excess deaths we're talking about. So we could go from average to four to eight. The point being is that we've been tolerating a certain level of risk on the football field for decades. And this is another risk. So what this tells you is that once you define what you mean by risk, and this is where most institutions of higher education have been failing, they've been talking about cases as risk. If your case is a risk, do not have in in class education. It's not worth it because you're going to have cases. On our campus, we're going to have hundreds of cases in the first week of in-class education. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong. The real risk for football are the coaches. Mm. We have Lovey Smith, who's in his early 60s. We have Rod Smith, who's in his mid-50s. The strength coach, for best I can tell, is around 50. All the others appear to be under 50. Uh, you look across the country at the 110 FBS teams, and you've got probably three or 400 people who are going to be over uh, 60 years old or 55, and that's where the risk lies. So with all this data, what do you think is going to happen here in the fall? Do you think uh, they'll proceed with uh, trying to get the college football season started or, or, or maybe just wait? Well, the data will inform the decision, but if you change what you mean by risk, if you say risk is we don't want any cases, there's no need to, in fact, start in-class education around the country. There's no need to start football. And this applies also to soccer, volleyball, every other team sport that we're going to see in the fall. Uh, College basketball is not that far off in November. It's going to apply to all of them. However, if you say, I'm willing to tolerate cases, but I'm going to control the bad outcomes by making sure we have capacity in our healthcare system to protect those people, then we can start football. But you don't want to change your definition of risk midstream, because if you do, it's going to be even worse. You can't avoid risk, but if you start running from the risk, rather than mitigating the risk, then you're going to be uh, in trouble. Don't run from it. Fascinating stuff. Now, where do you take I mean, this is an ongoing research uh, project for you. Where do you take it next? I'd like to look a little more closely at um, campuses, especially as they open, because there will be more information coming out in terms of cases and what what different institutions do, and this also applies to college sports, because I believe, you know, there's over 5,000 universities and colleges in the United States. I believe that there is a path we can get through 
so that we can get to the other side and we can all be safe and feel comfortable about the situation in operating higher education. But nobody has written the guidebook on opening universities and, and opening college sports yet. But it's, getting being, it's being written in real time. And I am going to try and follow the data. I welcome data, you know, and, and unfortunately, it's very hard to get data. People are not very transparent. And the more data that I have, the better my models are to inform these decision-making processes. So uh, my, my focus right now is on collecting more and better data, just like the data I gave you on actual deaths on the college football field, independent of COVID-19. Nobody's talking about this. And if they did, they would realize where the COVID-19 risk fits within the grander scheme. Well, uh, say again, where does it fit in that grander scheme? Where does it exactly? I think you said that, but uh, you're saying 10 deaths per year is on average among the schools in FBS. Is that correct? Or No, that's all schools. What I said, it's all schools. All schools. If you take all the 110 FBS teams we would see an expected number of deaths between four and seven. Now, it may be two, and it may be nine. This is just the range because it's, it's uncertain what it is. We don't know unless we looked at each team, each of the players' profiles. I don't know who on the Illinois team has asthma. I don't know who on the Illinois team has some kind of pre-existing condition, like maybe they're diabetic, and it's just not broadcast. This is a personal thing, and, and mm-hmm. I don't expect it to be on the, on the roster listing saying, by the way, they happen to be asthmatic. I don't know. In fact, some of them don't know because when they do their summer training in the past and they've been overcome by heat, often we trace it to an underlying health condition which was not known at the time. That's why we're going to discover a tremendous amount, and COVID-19 is going to reveal it to us. But the real issue we have here is risk. How do you define risk? If it's cases, and I was reading the South Carolina governor saying, you know, if we continue to see cases, an increase in cases, but nobody's telling us how they're defining risk. Should it be simply cases? If you're going to define it as cases, why is any university opening this fall? Because we're going to have tens of thousands of cases around the United States in universities every month. That because universities have students, which are 8 to 24, whose natural DNA guides them to socialize. And yeah, they'll social distance as much as they can, but they'll let down their guard, they'll become a little soft, and it doesn't take much. The virus is, is unrelenting and will penalize any lapses in judgment. Well, we appreciate uh, you taking time to share that data with us. It's been very enlightening. Uh, Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, thanks again, and uh, perhaps we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, okay. Sheldon. 1045 is the time. We'll take a break, and we'll have about 15 minutes or a little bit less of open line available for you after this here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk back in just a moment on DWS. we got 10 minutes left here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to jump in. And Mark calling in from Florida is with us. How are you, Mark? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your uh, mind? You know, uh, well, fighting Illini name is on my mind. So the uh, pressure now being mounting on the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians on that hit list would be the fighting Illini. And well, just, the fighting Illini were, uh, were soldiers to begin with. And it's a derivative of the name of the state. So if you're not going to change the name of the state, 
I don't think you need to change the name of the the nickname for the team. You don't think that, and I don't think that. That doesn't mean that that can hold. Well, I mean, I think it will hold in terms of people with any common sense when they get around to it. I mean, there'll be there'll be people, well, you know, I, I, they're not well, going to change. None of these people are acting. None of these people are acting common sense. There's no right to be uh, in the Constitution. There's no article that says you have the right to be, uh, not to be offended. It's all coming from oh, I'm offended. Well, that's true, but I feelings are hurt. All I'm saying is that. The fighting Illini that was derived from soldiers in World War One, not from. Well, you can say in, that, Lauren. I I hope. I well, hope I mean, I can say it. I mean, that's what it was. That's why I say it. I mean, I'm not making it up. Well, there was a tribe. There was a tribe that was called the Illini too. Correct? That's that's correct. Okay. Well, that's all you need to know. There, you know, that means it has an Indian lineage or Indian heritage. I'm not. For getting rid of it, obviously. I'm, I'm disgusted by all of this. I'm disgusted by the Redskins push, the Indians push, the uh, taking down of Confederate flags and statues. I'm offended by all of that. That's ridiculous. All right, Mark. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Ten fifty-two is the time. If you want to get in, you've got a few more minutes. Three five six nine three nine seven. Haven't heard anything about the Atlanta Braves yet, have you? No, I haven't. I haven't heard that one. I only heard not again. I mean, it's been past certainly. I only heard the Indians sing in the last uh, twenty-four hours. It just came up after uh, Redskins was mentioned. We talked a little Major League Baseball at the beginning of the show and how good it was, at least for a baseball fan. And I think I speak for Lauren uh, as well to see some activity in ballparks. Hopefully, they'll get things going. But uh, there were thirty-one players affiliated with nineteen teams who have tested positive in the first day or two of the players reporting back, and there are still players deciding if they're going to come back. And everybody's getting tested. I mean, yeah. this isn't a people who think they have a problem. This is every single person being tested, and then they are tested again, and they will continue to be tested. So We haven't seen the schedule yet. I've been kind of anxious to see the Major League Baseball schedule and see how that plays out. We do know that the Cardinals are going to play the White Sox, at the Field of Dreams ballpark out in Iowa in August. Yankees were going to play the White Sox there. And then the way gonna, the... Are they going to put TVs in the cornfield? <laughs> no, but... The, I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to have a TV from center field, that was a cornfield in the movie. Yeah, and the players should walk in from the cornfield. <laughs> be introduced coming uh, through the cornfield. But uh, that'll be in August, hopefully if they get that far, but uh, the reason the Yankees are out of that is because of the way the schedule is going to set up and you're playing just within your own division or the corresponding division in the other league. So um, the Cardinals are likely to open up against somebody like Kansas City or the Cubs or the White Sox or the Twins or the Indians yeah. in that situation. But uh, Janu- or, uh, January, July 23rd and 24th. Coming up. It is coming up. We hope we 19, make it there, right? 19 days. 19 critical days I just so much so much negative talk I I I just feel like uh, you know I, every I, Buster only scared me to death I mean he, he's been really negative about this thing getting going and I knew we would hear from our friend Marty in Pinehurst North Carolina good morning Marty uh, what's going on down there happy 4th of July well happy 4th of July to you Steve and to you Lauren thank you you know you got 
you better keep one thing in mind, Steve. It might be in crop rotation. It might be soybeans in center field <laughs> instead of corn. So that's right. I never thought about you. that. Yeah, you guys, come on. You grew up in farm country. You know that. <laughs> hey, uh, I am glad to see at least some baseball coming back. Last week, I didn't. I didn't get to call in, and you guys were already had somebody. You were running late or whatever. You know, you talked about the the uh, six man rotation, Steve. Yeah. Last week. How about a four man rotation? No, you could do that too. Just uh you got piggyback you got some guys. In the Cardinal system you have a lot of good triple A starters. A lot of them. That could pitch on a lot of big league teams. And it wouldn't be real unusual to piggyback starters. You probably got eight of them and piggyback them and then keep a couple good short relievers, two or three of those around. It wouldn't be an unusual thing to do. And I'd like to see him go back to a four-man rotation long-term. You know, Gibson, Spawn, a lot of guys pitched on three days rest and pitched a long time. And I think it'd save you a hell of a lot of money if you weren't paying five starters. I'd just like to talk about game situations like this instead, you know, instead of... Yeah, well, you're going to miss the bun a little bit, but, you know... Yeah, my point is, though, let's talk about games themselves rather than if there will be games. Oh, there, well, let's. I think they'll get started. I really do. And uh, after that, who knows? The way this year is going, I mean, I just keep Lauren away from anyone who's who's around anyone else that could give him COVID. I want to keep him around for a few more years. <laughs> He's too you, ornery. You care, is he taking care of himself, Steve? He is. I run interference for him during the week, and uh, <laughs> okay. we're good. I All make right. sure he gets to the golf course. He, he, he cleans my microphone usually. <laughs> Okay, good, good. I just want to keep you in good shape, guys. It's a great show today. That uh, that computer scientist professor is pretty interesting. Yeah, he's a neighbor of mine. Oh, is he? Yeah, he just I'll lived down. What. He just lived down the block. He uh, he's uh, he's got some really tough stuff. I mean, he got the facts. I mean, he all, he's not he's not giving opinions as much as he's given the results of his analysis. You know. You know, it might be more interesting to listen to him instead of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and some of the other people for a change. Might <laughs> okay. want to get him on a national broadcast. Well, he's been on that. Anyway. He's been on CBS uh, Sports. Good. Well, he's good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. You guys make it a great and a very safe Fourth of July. You too, Marty. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Bye-bye. A couple of minutes before 11 o'clock. If you're itching to watch some game action, you can do it tonight. In the basketball tournament, which is uh, a deal that goes on for about 10 days, being played over in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, Illinois has a team of sorts representation there called the House of Pain, coached by Mike LaTulip. They play tonight against a team from Tampa that is basically a bunch of former Auburn players uh, called War Tampa. They play tonight at 7 o'clock on ESPN. It's a single elimination event so you want to see some guys Michael Finke and Malcolm Hill did you see the the zoom call with Malcolm Hill and how much he's changed he's lost about 30 pounds he's very thin through the face it looks in great shape and uh, playing overseas has done that for him but he he's changed his diet and he he really looks good think Nana Agwood can get some blocks hope so Get some guys to knock down some threes, and uh, it'll be fun to watch that. Ohio State has the defending champion in this event, and Dimitri McKamey is on that team. So if you see a schedule for the team called Carmen, Ohio, Carmen's crew, um, Dimitri McKamey plays on that. 
So don't know if you'll be glued to the TV or not, but at least it's a little something to watch. And there are games to be other than sure. Illinois. There are other games on ESPN. There are a whole series of games on ESPN. Yeah, you've, you'll run across some players. You'll say, well, I, did, I remember him and such. And if, if you're watching golf, uh, they're getting by on the PGA Tour, although they've had some, some people test positive there as well. Unfortunately, we are out of time here on the 4th of July Saturday morning. Thanks to our guests, Brad Sturdy from Rivals.com, Jackie Simoniak, who is with the Illinois Golf Program and will be the general manager of the Atkins Golf Club at the University of Illinois when that reopens next uh, spring. She'll be on the job, obviously, before that, getting things set. Illinois volleyball coach Chris Thomas joins us, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com and Dr. Sheldon Jacobson. Mr. Tate, we'll talk to you as the week goes on, my friend. All right. Thanks, Steve. Hit them straight. And uh, thanks to uh, Blake Landa and Ed Bond for their help here on this program on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Steve Kelly for Lauren Tate. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.